Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeshow.com and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. Good morning and welcome to it. It is the Michael Duke Show. Hi, how are you? Little hump day action for you today. That's right. Middle of the week, downhill slide. Moving on towards Firearms Friday. We are ready to go and looking forward to seeing what you guys have to say and share with us this morning. It is, um, oh, man, it's the days just fly by, don't they? Just absolutely fly by. Um, some interesting stuff to talk about this morning uh, on the program. Now, coming up tomorrow, we're going to be uh, chatting with uh, not only Kathy Hensley, who is another candidate for the uh, another candidate for the uh, municipal assembly down there in Anchorage, uh, but also uh, we're going to be talking uh, with uh, some folks uh, about the um, uh, about the constitutional convention. And uh, we're going to be talking with Dr. J.H. Jim Snyder. And uh, he he's going to come in and talk to us about the Constitutional Convention, the pros, the cons, the goods, the bads. And uh, he is uh, he, he's going to we're going to chat about some of those things. He's a state constitutional scholar. And so uh, we'll we'll put him to the we'll put him to the question tomorrow morning uh, to talk about it. Um, and we'll, uh, um, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that tomorrow coming up on the show tomorrow morning at 624 this morning. <clears throat> it is, uh, you and me here in hour one this morning, and we've got some, uh, we've got some things to talk about that are happening around the state. And then in hour two, we'll kick things off with, uh, state Senator, Mike Shower for the Shower Hour of Power. That's right. We're going to talk with him about that coming up uh, here in uh, just a bit. Uh, meanwhile, phone lines. Let's uh, let's crack those bad boys open, shall we? And see what you want to talk about in all the world of all the stuff that's going on. What are you What are you concerned about? Because uh, I see I still see that there's people who are. Um, uh, who are concerned about, uh, uh, you know, the COVID and, uh, the Ukraine and uh, oil. And, uh, I see that there's still some comments from time to time about vaccines and all. So, I mean, you know, there's plenty of stuff to worry about. Not that I necessarily think that we can fix all of it or even control a portion of it. Um, I guess all we can control is ourselves, right? Um, that's 
That's the big thing. I guess we can control ourselves, and that's the important part. But what is on your mind? What are you thinking about? Um, we're seeing now that, um, you know, as far as the Ukraine goes, that uh, Russia is still stalled. Um, and uh, it, uh, you know, they, they haven't been able to move. Uh, they've got that big convoy heading toward uh, Kiev, and uh, they still have not been able to uh, move much further beyond where they're at. They're pretty much stalled. And um, it uh, it's, it's interesting to watch, to say the least. Um, I saw a bit yesterday where the Ukrainians are starting now to use some of these very small um, they call them, um, they call them stealth drones and they're not stealth. They're not like stealth. They don't, you know, they're, they're small. They're so small that they can't, uh, <clears throat> that they really can't be seen by radar because they're less than, they're less than four feet wide or something. And they carry like three explosive packages on them and they've been dropping them on fuel trucks because they're so lightly armored that these little munitions that they drop will do it. And so they've been wreaking some havoc out there on the Russian supply lines, which, of course, were already stressed. And it's interesting to see how this all plays out. Um, but uh, the question is, you know, I guess the question is, how long can they hold out? That's the big question. Um, will Russia lose the will to fight uh, and push and prosecute this thing before the Ukrainians run out of time and ground, because that's all they can give right now. It's all that they can do is time and ground. They can, they can delay, delay, delay with the hope that eventually they wear that down. So that's one, that's one facet that we can talk about. Um, I noticed that there was an article in, um, there was an article in uh, KTUU Alaska's news source talking about the COVID case counts. Um, yeah, rally. What happened to COVID, man? All of a sudden, the Ukrainian war breakout broke out, and now all of a sudden, COVID is on the lower rung. Well, it's still with us. Um, I thought it was interesting that one of the headlines uh, was about um, the vaccine breakthrough COVID infections reached 40%, 47% of all COVID cases in December turned out to be breakthrough cases. So, again, um, I... I yeah, I'm not. This is not an "I told you so" moment. This is just more of an interesting side note that uh, 47% of all the cases were people who were fully vaccinated. Uh, so while people who were not vaccinated may have been had a higher, um, may have had a higher chance of getting it, uh, getting the vaccine didn't necessarily slow down that communicability. And of course, uh, although of course it did uh, reduce some of the symptoms for some people. But again, I think we've reached that endemic phase, um, uh, the endemic phase uh, where it's just here with us forever. It's no longer a pandemic. It's just it's it's going it's going to be here and we're going to have to deal with it. But the state is making a note that the uh, they've seen a, a steep downward trajectory on the um, from the Omicron phase. And uh, they they are saying that there's a new. Omicron variant called uh, BA2 Omicron, which is more communicable, but doesn't seem to be causing more severe cases. So I don't know, maybe again, maybe a good thing that it's passing it more of it around, but not with severe cases. So we can continue to increase the herd immunity? Question mark? I, I don't know. All I know is that it's not, 
It's just not it's not hitting the headlines anymore. And people seem to be breathing easier. So it's it's uh, I think it's a I think it's a good thing. Uh, so those are the two big uh, non state business political headlines that I think that are floating around out there is the Ukraine and the um, uh, and the the covid discussion. There was another uh, interesting thing in regards to the Ukraine. Governor Dunleavy yesterday held a press conference where he again uh, talked about uh, what the state has got to do um, against or should do against Russia for its unjustified invasion of Ukraine, uh, although some people would question the unjustified kind of portion of it. He called for Alaska businesses to the private businesses to stop buying Russian goods. And that said Alaska should be a place of refuge for fleeing Ukrainians. I mean, we've got quite a large Ukrainian population here in the state already. Uh, He urged again for the state to divest its holdings in Russia uh, from the uh, Department of Revenue and from the the permanent fund and everything else. Um, The state of Alaska has about $267 million invested in Russia, according to the Department of Revenue, which is less than 0.3% of all investments. And of course, since the since the whole thing began, that two hundred and sixty seven million dollars is now worth less than about uh, well, it's about twenty six million dollars. It's all it's worth now because the Russian holdings have plummeted ninety percent, ninety percent. So anyway, things are continuing to look a little uh, grim over that. The Dunleave administration said legislation will need to pass so that the state can sell those assets, including some held by the Permanent Fund Corp. And he's planning on introducing legislation to do that this week. Uh, Jonathan Christ Tompkins is also preparing a similar bill on behalf of the House State Affairs Committee that could be uh, heard as soon as tomorrow. Now, part of the speech um, was against uh, of the governor's speech yesterday was against uh, President Biden's energy policies which he says have been agnostic against Alaska and Alaskans. I don't know if agnostic is the word I would have used, but I mean, that's that's what he said. He said that restarting some stalled Alaska energy projects would not immediately help, but it could make a difference in years to come. And I think that's the that's the biggest problem of what we're doing here in the state of Alaska. Um, the the whole state of Alaska has had this idea that, you know, we need things, and when we need it, we need it now. We have that lack of forethought. We can't think that, you know, maybe we should start some of these projects which have got a 10-year tail on them. You know, you start them, and they really don't start to deliver at full speed until 10 years down the road. We sometimes lack the foresight or the forethought to really get those things rolling or attempt to. Uh, I mean, I know the legislature has fallen short on a lot of those things, and uh, it's, it's, it's really frustrating. Uh, You know, the first thing that uh, President Biden did is he started to curtail a lot of the uh, energy independence that America had been enjoying. And uh, and now we're here to reap the whirlwind on us. It's taken two years to get here. It will take two years to undo what the president has done so far to get us energy independent. We've got to do that. Um, Alaska Senate is set to hear resolutions today to encourage solidarity with Ukraine. And another calls on the U.S. to unleash domestic oil, excuse me, unleash domestic energy production. According to uh, President, Senate President Peter Michiki, he said Alaska is better producing cleaner oil than anywhere else. Again, not that I disagree, 
but we have been stymied and taken and taken off the path of energy independence. This is the problem with depending on foreign entities for certain things like national energy policy. You know, we should be doing everything we can to become a net exporter of energy instead of having to be an importer. Uh, the article goes on to talk about how the price of crude oil, North Slope crude specifically, went over $125 a barrel yesterday. That's the highest it's been since March of 2012. And, of course, the announced embargo that the president announced yesterday that uh, they are going to cease. There, uh, there is an, an embargo and a moratorium on any new Russian oil contracts and all current Russian oil contracts, and we import about 3% of the uh, oil used in the United States, I think was the number, uh, from Russia, that those contracts have to be curtailed and and uh, taper off and end within 45 days. So, so there's, a, there's a lot of stuff going on around there. But here was the catch at the end of this article. Across the capital, there is this is the this is the the the, the thing. The price of sloop crude, I just said, one hundred twenty-five dollars a barrel, the highest since March of twenty twelve. The U.S. embargo on Russian oil announced on Tuesday is expected to push fuel prices higher. That comes as remote communities start to plan bulk fuel purchases for the winter ahead. So the perfect time, right? Across the Capitol, there's support for a larger dividend that has been paid in recent years. The House Majority Coalition is supporting a $1,300 energy relief check, in quotes, to be paid in addition to this year's PFD. But some of the legislature have suggested that this is reindeer games. Tom Baggage is then quoted. The higher price of fuel, in particular in rural Alaska, is really incumbent on us to provide some fuel relief. Hey, Tom. How about you just pay everybody their statutory dividend? You want some relief? You could give everybody a $1,200 dividend and a $1,300 energy relief check, but that would be half of what they're owed on a statutory PFD. Just think about what a family of four could do with $2,500 versus $4,200, Tom. It's incumbent on you not to provide some relief. It's incumbent on you to follow the damn law. <clears throat> Hashtag follow the damn law. That's what it should be. I mean, am I wrong? Just imagine what you and your family could do with $4,200 per person. Put fuel in the fuel tank. Pay off the taxes on the house for this year. Maybe put some new tires on. Maybe get that pesky furnace repaired. I don't know, buy a new TV because your old one's futzing out. Pay for that hard pack removal in your front yard, which you know is going to be brutal this year. Just think of all those things. All right. We're out of here. We got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
Hello, my friends. Hello, my friends. Hello. <clears throat> I just called to let you know I see forever in your eyes. Um, damn, that's a misspent youth, isn't it? Uh, I'm going backwards here, going backwards because there's a bunch of stuff that you guys were talking about. You guys are verbose this morning. I love it. I love it when there's a ton of comments. How about having Vic Fisher on the po- at some point? Um, I will reach out to see if I can get Vic Fisher back on the program. I haven't had him on the show in about, uh, well, it's probably going on 10 years since I had Vic Fisher on. Um, we'll have to see if we can get him on. Um, please ask Shower whether he could request a meeting of the Senate Majority Caucus, says Christine. Oof, there's a question. Um, and hey, look at that. Joining us on the phone right now is our good friend, Shelly Hughes. Good morning, Senator. How are you? Hey, good morning, Michael. It has been too long. It has been it, too long. It has been. Too, it's been so long, in fact, that uh, I've forgotten what you look like. No, we're all good here. <laughs> um, uh, how are you all ready to uh, rock and roll this morning and, and dive I, into it? I am rock. I am rocking and rolling, and I want to do a sound check with you because I am driving. Are you able to hear me okay? Oh, yeah. You sound good. You sound real good. Okay. So we'll... Uh, We'll just call that, we'll call that good right there. And um, I'm a little bit abashed because I sent you a text yesterday that I had, uh, that I had preset and, and scheduled out. And then I realized that I forgot to mark it on my morning schedule to remind myself. So this is a surprise for many people who are listening, not me, but many people. So hold the line here and I'll be right back to you. We're going to jump into this with both feet here in just a minute. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Shelly Hughes is our get I hate it. I, you know, I got so wound up in some of the morning headlines that I forgot to mention Shelly. So, Hey, what, what, what more could a guy ask for? Uh, luckily I have those, luckily I have those backstops, you know, like where I, I, I put a reminder text out to Shelly and I scheduled that reminder text six days ago when I made the, uh, when I made the appointment. Uh, and so it just, it just went off and she, uh, she got it. So there we go. Um, and uh, this is Dittred App. All right. Okay. So I'm just making sure that I got all my bells and whistles together. And uh, we are good to, come on, good to go. There we go. Okay. All right. So Shelly Hughes is our guest. And we're going to be joined here in just a second. Anthony says, I'm concerned we found ourselves in a Game of Thrones-esque eternal winter. Good God, will the snow ever go away? This winter has been long. Me too. I mean, although I'm not dealing with what you guys are dealing with in Fairbanks, it's still been. I mean, we had false spring last week. It was like 45 degrees. The snow was all melting. And then the weekend, it dumped another eight inches on top of us. And then last night, it's dropped another four inches on top. It's just like, you're right. Will it just ever go away? That's my question. Laughable to see Biden blame Russia for the high gas prices. He is delusional. Uh, did you hear? COVID can be entirely negated by riots, Trump treats, and Russian warfare. That's true. That's true. Where did COVID go? Um, Hawaii is lifting its masking next month. Uh, I wish they would take all the ads about COVID off the radio. I'm tired of them. Hey, Michael, is the 75-25 split with the $1,300 energy rebate proposal down 
Uh, does that be does that become 75 25 moving forward is that their goal yes i think it's normalizing we'll talk to shelly about this but i think it's normalizing that 75 25 goal that they have that's what it is we came up with a 50 50 they're going to say oh well this is the 75 25 and it's an energy rebate so it's just a one-time thing so we don't but the, it again it normalizes the 75 25 that they've been talking about in their different pieces of legislation and everything else um, Pfizer suspended from trading after filing a removal of listing with the SEC. What? Um, I watched a video of Putin saying something like Ukraine was part of Russia and he was just taking it back. Meanwhile, I'm looking out the front window of my Alaska home wondering if at some point we're going to be going all red dawn up in here. Wolverines! Um, yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, we're 15 seconds out. So hold the line. We're going to jump back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Share the show. Like this video. Uh, subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube. Let's do it. Okay. Surprise, surprise, surprise. We're ready to jump back into it here. Our guest this morning, State Senator Shelley Hughes, who uh, comes on board to talk with us about everything that's going on in the legislature. So we get a double, so we get a double dose. Senator Mike Shower is going to be joining us in hour two this morning. Uh, but Shelly Hughes, it's been a while. In fact, I told her it's been so long, I've forgotten what she looks like. I don't know uh, what, uh, what's what been going on, but here she is joining us this morning. Good morning, Senator. How are you? Hey, good morning. And it's probably right to, to stack me first and, and then uh, shower, because when people first wake up, they're probably not ready for the speed of Mike Shower. You know, he, he hits it hard. So I'm I'm slightly slower pace. Wait, I can see he, I can see the headline already. Hughes says when people first wake up, they're not ready for a shower. That's I can see it already. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's a good one. Yeah. Now Shower Shower and I are great friends and, and we work to, a lot together in the legislature. You know, Michael, I am driving from way out in the valley. The rents really went up here in Juneau. And so I'm um, the cheap, what I could find and afford was way out by the glacier, the back loop road, and I am driving. So you can hear me. Okay. I, I, right. Yep. Oh, you're good. You're good. Okay. But one of the ones I want to just start out to say that several of us voted against the $5 million to be spent on an apartment building catty corner from the Capitol. I was kind of surprised with, um, some a couple of Republicans that voted for that. But I had made the statement that, well, first of all, when they offered us the free building, I, the, we knew there was going to be a cost. And the estimate, of course, is always low. And what happened a couple of weeks ago, they approved the $5 million. I bet your bottom dollar, they'll probably come back for more. Um, but my statement was, if we're going to spend any money on uh, any capital investment on any buildings, it should be in South Central. Which, so we can set up a place where we can have a floor session, or ideally two floor sessions, a house a space and a Senate space. And um, right. but it passed. and um, but I, you know, I'm just 
also a point that Kathy Tilton made about that investment, and I don't know if it hit the news media because they probably wouldn't cover it, but she made a really good point. You open 35 apartments or whatever the number is in that building, Mm -hmm. you are robbing um, landlords, private sector landlords, from an opportunity to make rent. So you're basically competing with the private sector by providing that kind of housing. But anyway, that's just as I make the long drive because of the housing <laughs> shortage, the expensive housing here. It and was... you know what, really, I love your principle that we need to get the legislature back close to the center of the population. Yeah, well, we do. We need to have the, uh, you know, we need to at least have the legislative session on the road system. And uh, I mean, I think that that makes sense. We've already dumped a bunch of money into that, uh, the old Wells Fargo building down in Anchorage. Why, you know, why can't we start looking to expand? I mean, another $5 million in that building might make it ready to uh, to actually be able to house something like that. I mean, that, that there's there's lots of questions and lots of different exactly. ways. Yeah. Exactly. At minimum, it ought to be an option. You know, right now I'm working um, to, uh, we were going to revamp the disaster statutes um, because they weren't designed for long-term something two years. And uh, across the U.S., states have been wrangling with this because they realized how much power it gave the executive branch. Right. And we knew, do need to have the checks and balances, but our problem is our distance. So other states, they um, are able to easily get to their capitals so they could suspend their uniform rules so they could vote remotely. Well, we right. uh, we haven't been able to do that. <laughs> and the uniform rules, strangely, Trump statutes. It's because the Constitution says we have to adopt the rules. And so we can't just write a statute that says in the event of a disaster, people, legislators can stay home and and vote remotely. We cannot do that. Right. So that's a difficulty. And um, it would be a problem. We we passed a legislation yesterday uh, in the event of a cyber attack that we would be able to take swift, swift action. And I really pushed to get that bill to the floor considering what is happening on the world stage. Heaven forbid we have a serious um, cyber attack on our power grid, on the Trans-Alaskan pipeline, or something that really could be bad, but we need to be prepared for it. And one of the ways we're not prepared is the fact that our capital is uh, hard to get to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, if there was a cyber attack, I could see amongst the mass confusion, one of the things difficult uh, would be any kind of attack on the infrastructure for flight operations or anything else. Your legislators wouldn't be able to get to Juno, and then what do you do? Um, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a difficult situation uh, overall. Or we could, or we could get stuck in Juno. <laughs> Yeah, well, oh <laughs> well, that would be even worse. Um, all right, well, you've—that's—that's that's what was on your mind. Let me start off with what was on my mind to begin with, because we heard this last week from Senator Shower, and a lot of us stood around looking a little thunderstruck uh, when it was all said and done. Here we are, halfway through the legislative session, and uh, Senator Shower made the comment that the Senate Majority Caucus has not met yet this year. Has that been rectified or are you guys still without a meeting of the caucus of equals? We have not yet had an official meeting. Of course, we all chat here and there. We have, um, our, we're gonna be gathering, I think, for, for lunch together, but we haven't had an official meeting. And even if we do that this week, there are a number of folks missing, including our, our co-chairs, um, the Energy Council is underway, so different ones are gone and in Washington, D.C., so I think we were down to 
13 out of 20 present yesterday. So if we gather, it will not be all of us. <laughs> and that 13 include my minority. Exactly. Members. Well, exactly. So, so let me, so I guess let me ask the next viable question in Rock. What the hell is going on? I mean, we've got, a, you know, you guys are the majority, Senate Majority Caucus. You are supposed to all be working together. We've been assured by the Senate president that, oh, no, no, this is all fair and equitable and everything else. And we've heard some squawking, not just from Shower, uh, from some of the other people I've been talking to folks down there behind the scenes and some of the other players that keep in contact with me. And there's a lot of questions going on. And, and yet you guys are over halfway through the 90-day session, I guess. You could say we're approaching the halfway mark for the constitutional 120-day session. But you guys haven't had a meeting to get together to kind of try and formulate a plan. Or Obviously, there's a plan being executed. And obviously, because you guys haven't had a combined caucus meeting, I'm assuming that you guys aren't, some of you guys aren't privy to this, that there's obviously a plan being executed and you guys are kind of sitting on the sidelines. What's going on, Shelley? Well, it doesn't take a scientist or a mathematician to figure out what's happened the last couple of years when we did meet, even going back further, um, because what would end up happening, basically the decisions would end up falling on one or two shoulders. And so you could meet and you could figure out, you could get a sense, and then it still was um, one conductor making everything happen according to how they thought things should roll out. And so, um, you know, I've, I've been asked, I'm the Senate Majority Leader of a very, very divided caucus. And, you know, is, is there reason to meet? Well, I'll have to say the last few years, it hasn't helped. And that is a sad state of affairs. I will take my share of responsibility for that. But I do think there is one thing this year that, and, and I would say as far as plotting along um, and moving bills and things, the other committees have done quite well. Um, the question is what's going to bottleneck in finance. It looks like there's a major bottleneck there. And that always happens because, I mean, in general, just because they get so many more bills in the other committees, but some key bills that there are agreement are on seem to get locked in. And I'll give a case in point, the education bill, um, which has been a six-year process for me. And we do have the support for it, but um, in the Senate, but over in the House, uh, there's political shenanigans in, in my mind where people are saying it's election year. We, we don't want to get things done. One of the things that really burns me Michael is um, as judiciary chair during the SB 91 repeal, we started working on revising some of our um, sex offender statutes, the sexual crime statutes, because they needed some attention and some work. And um, a lot of it was work in progress that the Department of Law was researching what, what would work and what had failed in other states. So we didn't make the same mistakes and working with them, they've come back with, I believe, some good bills and some necessary changes. We're the highest, uh, we have the highest sexual crime rates in the, per capita in the country. And it's like, okay, we've got them, let's go, let's go. And now I'm hearing um, over on the House side, Representative Clayman isn't particularly interested in hearing them. Um, and why? It's an election year. And the same thing with solving the PFD thing. Why do certain people not wanna fix it it's an election year. 
Um, but I am coming back and saying, because a lot of these people that don't want to fix it and they like the PFD cookie jar, they like the, having access to it, they also don't want a constitutional convention. And I think that is, I'm starting to see some movement. Is it enough? Uh, is that, will that create enough pressure that some of the people that have the ability, because it's not, we, we talk about it being numbers, a numbers game, you need 11 and 21, or you need 14 and 27 for a constitutional amendment, but that's not, that's not totally it, because um, you have certain people that have key positions that can block things, and you have to be able to sort that out. Just like the fiscal plan working group, we were, after it was out for a week or two, and the members were talking in their caucuses because we represented all four caucuses, we had a sense that we had 50, five zero out of 60 who were willing to move it forward, but we couldn't move it forward because the people that sat in, in key places, it was also special session. It was hard to have everybody there at one time, et cetera. So it, you know, numbers are involved, but it also involves who sits where. And I guess that's a long answer to say that um, would the majority caucus meeting be helpful? It certainly could be. But what we've seen the last few years really were, you know, six years uh, with being wrapped around the actual on the PFD, the caucus process hasn't really moved that. So would it this year? Uh, probably there'd just be the same um, fighting. Well, and this, of course, is part of the problem um, that that our that our caucus that 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 the conservative you know portion or the you know what is purportedly the conservative side of the Senate is uh, basically non-functional or going their own way or doing their own thing. I mean, that's the thing. You guys are supposed to be, and, you know, we have the Senate president on the program here before the end of the year, basically saying, oh, no, no, we're all going to kumbaya. Next year is going to be great. We're all going to work together. It's going to be the caucus of equals. Nobody's going to run amok. Nobody's going to do this. And then we find out that since the beginning of the session, there hasn't been a single caucus meeting where you guys can all work together on strategy and everything else. It's very obvious that everybody is going their own way. And by well, everybody, well, yeah. I guess I mean the chairs of the the co-chairs of the of finance and the Senate president. Okay, think of it this way though. If you have within the caucus people on opposite sides of the fence on the PFD, working within the caucus probably isn't going to get things across the finish line. So we're actually working outside the the caucus and with others in the building and that is going on. Those conversations are going on because it is it's going to be people coming, you know, because it's the PFD, for instance, is not a Republican or Democrat issue. We've got people on both sides. Right. So I think that um, I, I just want to assure people <laughs> there are many of us working very hard to see if we can use the fact that people are concerned about a constitutional convention to get something passed and right. for the people on the ballot. That's what we're working to. I, I can't guarantee that we can. I mean, we've been working right. on this how many years? But Man. and we've never we've never had the threat of the constitutional convention. That's true. And you know what? If we don't do our job, the people will take matters into their own hands and they will vote to do have a constitutional convention. And a lot of the people that aren't thrilled about the PFD, they know that. And they aren't thrilled with the idea 
of the people taking the matter into their own hands. Well, so let's uh, yeah. let's let's discuss that further here on the other side. Don't go anywhere. It is the Michael Duke show. Shelley Hughes is our guest, GOP State Senator, District F. We're going to continue with her here in just a moment. Um, I mean, I guess what we're getting right now is just kind of a snapshot of the dysfunction of, uh, of you know, what is purportedly the, you know, the good side of the caucus in the uh, in the Senate. And I think we're going to we're going to have to peel back the layers of that onion a little bit more. But we'll also talk about the Constitutional Convention when we return the Michael Duke show. Common Sense Radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Back in the break right now, uh, Shelly Hughes is our guest as we continue on uh, down the road. She's uh, continuing to travel here uh, in Juneau while we uh, while we fly through the commercial break let me just see some of the comments maybe in the chat room that uh, Shelley can answer as we go through um, I mean I think that I am uh, I think Shelley I'm echoing the uh, the comment that Jim is making in the chat room right now that basically says I think it kind of summates everything he says I'm not assured <laughs> I think that's you know it's it is definitely not uh heartening to see this kind of stuff continue again have the senate president come in and tell us before the end of the year that oh this is all going to be great groovy that next year you're going to see great things that this next session we're all going to work together we're all going to kumbaya i'm going to do my job and we're going to we're going to herd these cats and do all this and then to find out that no we're having to work outside of caucus lines we're not able to come together we're not even able to have a meeting because it's not productive um, yeah, I'm kind of not assured, Shelley. That's a, that's I think that's the understatement of the year right now. Well, what, what I'm asking folks to be assured and Jim to be assured that there are there are serious conversations and work happening to try to strategize how to do this. And it actually it makes sense if you have for six, seven years, we've had a caucus divided on the PFD. So you kind of have to work outside of that little organization and work in the entire building. So that makes sense. So I'm not asking anybody to, oh, relax, we've got it under control. (laughs) I'm not saying that. I'm saying rest assured that there are people working very hard to see if we can get it done. And you know what? If we don't, let the people vote for a constitutional convention. Right. Let it happen. Well, I guess that's my question. We're going to talk about the CONCON here in a second. But, I mean, what's your exhortation to the people who are watching? Because, like you said, I've been watching this for, I mean, I've been following this stuff for 20-plus years. But especially since the taking of the permanent fund by Walker, I mean, I have watched. I mean, I'll, it, this was my my inclination when Walker first took off took the PFD off the table. Um, or not took it off the table, but took took the PFD, took a portion of the PFD. My immediate reaction was, oh, man, people are going to rise up. This is going to be a bloodbath. You know, this is going to politicians are going to, you know, I thought all those things. And then I watched nothing happen. And I just thought, 
wow, I totally misread that. I mean, I thought that was the third rail of politics, and here we are um, going through. So what what should what should what should be the battle cry for people out here who are as frustrated as I am watching this? What I mean, what are we what should we be doing? Well, I, I would say what's happening right now with the economy, inflation, and gas prices um, might might kind of I'm, I'm not saying that's a good thing. That's very concerning what's happening on the world stage. But I will say that that could play into it. And, yeah, I wish more people would have risen up sooner and and been there. But they are you know, I do get encouraged because people that haven't been involved are starting to engage. Is it the numbers we need? Uh, well, you know, if the, the Constitutional Convention question, it may not be apparent that everybody's, you know, getting on your show or showing up at our town halls. We do have higher numbers, but I think when that question is on the ballot, it could be that people that haven't that particularly seemingly been engaged will vote for it because they're very aware that you know, in general, polling always shows that people like their legislator in general, but they don't like the legislature as a body, just like with Congress. Right, right. And um, so I think there is a lot of frustration out there, even for the people that don't show up and regularly engage. They're frustrated. Well, um, and then Jim comes back and says voters did react. Walker's gone. Coghill is gone. But a lot of districts don't care. And he's right. I mean, the, you know, they, those there was a delayed reaction on that uh, with Walker being gone and Coghill and others who fought hard and stridently against a full statutory PFD. But, uh, you know, we've got some of those players in there that are business as usual. I mean, you know, we've got some of the same people in there now who helped create this problem, who helped and voted for uh, and, and didn't stand up against uh, the Walker administration. And they're, like I said, the business as usual crowd, they're still running the show. They're still holding, as you talked about, those key positions. We may have a majority, but the bottom line is, is if you've got 50 of 60 legislators who are in favor of something and one holdout can hold the whole thing hostage, something has got to change. Right. And um, and I think actually, okay, I, I'm, I'm a, the glasses half full kind of gal. So I think the fact that we're not trying to settle it in the caucus is actually a good thing because the, if we ca- if we did that again this year, what's that's the definition of insanity, right? Because right. you keep doing the same old thing, it doesn't work. Well, so the fact that we're realizing we're this isn't something we're going to probably fix within the caucus. We've got to work with the entire building, right? I think that is not a bad thing. Well, and that actually leads, Shelley, hold on, we're about to rejoin the radio, but that actually leads to an even bigger question, which we'll get into after the ConCon discussion. Uh, Shelley Hughes, our guest, like and share this video, The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's do it. We're continuing now with Shelley Hughes, GOP state senator for District F. We uh, were 
just in the break, and I'm going to revisit something she just said during the break here before we run out of daylight, but we were talking about the Constitutional Convention. Shelley, obviously, I do see the little bit of the fear in the eyes of many of these people when we start talking about that, because they obviously don't want that. Uh, I myself am a little trepidatious. I understand the power of the CONCON, which quite honestly, is one of the reasons why I'm a little nervous, because we could open that thing up and not just change stuff about the PFD, but it obviously opens it up for any special interest to try and influence the, you know, changing the constitution of the state of Alaska. And we've already seen what a cheap date Alaska can be, um, you know, overall, as far as influence and money based on ballot measure number two that passed last year. So allay uh, 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 my concerns on some of that stuff, if you can. Um, yeah, well, I am not without concern as well. I understand that. Although when you consider our constitution right now, it, it, is, it is a left of center constitution. And I think that um, that's one of the reasons if you see those lining up against a constitutional convention, they tend to be to the left. I mean, they're already organized and raising money to fight it. So um, that is signals that the if we were to have one, the chances that it would tip more to the right. I am concerned. You're absolutely right. What um, happened with ballot measure two, that is the example I've given as well. And so it, it would be precarious. It also, when we're going into ranked choice voting for the first time, ranked choice voting is all about moderating, right? So right. If, if, our, if our legislature has how many Republicans, we, we have a majority of Republican, 21 in the House and 13 in the Senate, and we're moderating, does that mean they're going to be fewer or maybe not um, whether they have an RRD, but people that maybe are more moderate Republicans um, that get elected, that could happen. And then they are the ones that are going to be designing and setting up the parameters for the delegate selection, et cetera. So yes, that makes me nervous. But at the same time, um, I, I think that on a number of these issues, I think there's enough Alaskans, ordinary Alaskans, people care about their state on some of these issues. I believe that some of these things would go the right direction, but I'm, I'm not without concern. Are you fully, um, are you, are you f uh, fully behind the idea that really the only solution at this point is a con? constitutional convention. I mean, that's it's kind of been, uh, I mean, in talking to various legislators and some of the players and staffers behind the scenes over the last two and a half, three weeks, um, that that mantra seems to be growing, uh, you know, gathering steam that we can't fix it where we're at. We can't fix it in the thing. Obviously, the caucus uh, is broken uh, because you can't work with inside of it. So uh, the more and more what I'm hearing is what you just said earlier, which is the only thing we're going to be able to do as a constitutional convention. Is that really the best and only solution really that's viable in, you know, in in the foreseeable future, in your opinion? The best. You know, if I were in, in charge for a day, the best, the ideal would be that people would rise up and get people elected and that we would do the constitution, constitutional amendment one by one process in the legislature. That's the best. And uh, would are we going, excuse me, do, will enough people step up? Well, even when I see what's happening nationally and uh, 
on a worldwide basis, I do think more and more people are being concerned. Are concerned. Will that be enough by November? And with ranked choice voting, could we flip enough seats? Um, I don't know, but I, I would prefer doing it amendment by amendment because that's just a safer way to do it. But I don't see the numbers people stepping up. I, you know, I do see an increased number of people engaged, but will there be enough? I think there might be enough to, to choose yes for a constitutional convention, but will there be enough people really get engaged and realize, you know, we need totally different people sitting in these seats to take care of some of these matters. I don't know that we're going to reach that. So constitutional convention may be the option that occurs. Well, and like you were just saying, again, not to beat a dead horse, but to go back to it, to say that you had 50 people out of 60 that were in favor of, uh, specifically, we were talking about the fiscal policy working group plan. When you've got 50 people out of 60 who are ready and yet it's being held up by one, that tells me that we could change out 50 people in the legislature and make them all carbon copies of Michael Dukes. And they would all be in there and you'd have the one person that is that their district is fine sending them back time and time and time again and they could hold up the whole process it sounds to me like changing the players although it helps doesn't solve the problem because you've still got those holdouts in there that are business as usual so i suppose it's changing out key players but i will say michael i think i'm going to have a nightmare of walking around the capitol everywhere i turn i see michael dukes coming out of every that would that would be a nightmare. That would be an absolute for me and for you, too, as well. Um, all right. Well, let's go back to what you were just saying here a second ago. Uh, we were talking about um, the caucus and everything else. And you're saying, you know, well, it's a it's a good thing that we have to work outside the caucus. It's a, you know, it's all I mean, at some point you have to ask the question, if this is if, if it's so fundamentally broken, why are we continuing? Why is that? Why are we continuing to use the caucus? Why are we continuing to support it if obviously it's fundamentally broken and it's not doing what it is supposed to be able to do? Well, I think that the PFD is such a unique, unique animal. It doesn't fit. I don't see it in either of the party's platforms, for instance. So it it is the one oddity that's causing this. I think the the caucus generally works for other things. Hey, Michael, what time are you going to give me the boot? Because I'm I, there's another issue two, I want to bring up. Two before. minutes, two and a half minutes. Oh, okay. So I'm going to bring up the other issue. I know you don't do social stuff on your on your show, but I tell you, this is all about taking back our nation, taking back our state, and that I have SB 140 up. It is to ensure. Girls and women have a fair and even playing field in sports and to ensure male-bodied athletes, whether that's a guy who thinks he's a guy or someone, a transgender woman, we're seeing women's sports eroded. And um, that bill is up for public testimony at 10 a.m. I am getting called every name in the book. And um, Michael, even though on the record, I kicked it off by saying I am not trans. I care and value everyone, right? Every student, every athlete should have a fair starting point. I am getting called every name in the book and that's okay because, but I will tell you that it is becoming a growing problem across the nation. It's starting to rear its head in Alaska and there are parents and coaches and students that want this policy and I am happy to be a champion of it and they can call me all the names in the book 
It is the right thing to do. And if we don't do it, it's all about competition and winning and coaches already on the East Coast where they're allowing it, where they're allowing male bodied athletes. Now coaches are having to think about recruiting on other women's teams, male bodied athletes, so they can be competitive and win. Coaches are hired to win. So you're going to erode opportunities for girls and women. We need to take a stand. And if people can write senate.education at A-K-L-E-G in support of SB 140, I'd be grateful if they could call in Saturday at 10 a.m. I'd be grateful. The opposition is coming in in high numbers. Um, They're pretty spun up. The left is pretty spun up. So I know if we were to do a poll in Alaska, it'd probably be 75, 80 percent of Alaskans would agree with this policy. And I need that reflected in the written and public testimony. No, I mean, I agree with that policy. I think it's live and let live as far as I'm concerned. But in a situation like this, it's very obvious that there's an advantage with somebody who's biologically male competing against people who are biologically female in physical sports. I just think I agree. Right. I, I don't think that that is a I don't think that's a fair and equitable thing. But and even after I, multiple. Yeah. Uh, even after multiple years of hormone suppression therapy, yeah. no. still have it's advantage. We got to go. Folks, Mike Shower up next. <clears throat> Shelly, I mean, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, again, I like I said, I'm a live and let live kind of guy. I don't care if you want to marry your toaster. But at the same time, there's got to be equitability. And it's not equitable to have even somebody who is, uh, like you said, gone through all the treatments and the hormones and everything else. Uh, physically, at a baseline level, there's still... You know, the, the generally speaking, stereotypically speaking, I guess, with a broad brush, men are more physically able than women in many ways. And so it, it definitely provides a disadvantage, which I disagree with. So, I mean, yeah. Are, are, are we in the break room right now? We're, we're in the break right now. Yeah. So, well, let, let me try an analogy on you because I, you know, you, you figure out how can I convince these people? And I don't watch cooking shows, but it's like you have um, several teams of chefs, right? And it's an American cooking show and you have, let's say, a team of French uh, chefs and they don't speak English or they don't speak English very well. So what, what are we going to do? We're going to give those French chefs, we're going to give them extra ingredients and we're going to let them start an hour ahead. And then, you know, the, at, and by 6 p.m., all the teams have to produce a gourmet meal. Well, we've given one group that had a difference, an advantage. Now, is that the right thing to do? I mean, there was no reason why that the, those French chefs needed extra ingredients and more time. And that's essentially what we're doing here when when we're allowing an uneven playing field with and male-bodied athletes on the girls' teams. What we're enabling one group that, you know, maybe has some differences at the disadvantage of the rest, you know, that are competing. It just does not make sense. And um you know, and and there's there's by the way, my bill would allow co-ed, and it actually doesn't go the other direction. A lot of people say, "Why aren't you pre- preventing girls from being on guys' teams?" Why? Because it does not create an uneven playing field, and that's the basis of Title IX. And you know, people say, "Oh, you can't interfere, you can't discriminate against transgenders." You know what? There's, there actually is discrimination when it's the best interest of the public allowed in this country. Why is an employer allowed to ask, uh, who's hiring people for their warehouse, allowed to ask them if they can lift 50 pounds over their head? Because they have, they have to be able to meet that physical demand. When they hire flight attendants, they have to make sure that they're physically fit and can do the job. So 
if physical attributes matter and you can based on the public interest consider physical attributes and that's what is we're doing and that's what happened in the 70s with title nine the physical attributes and characteristics matter and so that's why we're not stopping girls from being on guys teams that does not create an uneven playing field for the guys right so for the overall for the overall field right exactly yeah we lose our legal our legal underpinning the legal foundation is that there are physical differences and accommodating those physical fitness differences has been upheld in court and um so anyway the 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 Hate and fury against this bill is like no other. Um, but you know, it's it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to to preserve what we gained in Title IX and to make sure girls have safe and fair opportunities. Uh, I mean, again, I agree with this. Uh, I got two minutes before I got to let you go. A minute and a half here, so I'd like to circle back around to the whole. The caucus is broken, so what's the point? Um, uh, so, uh, your thoughts on that? Finally, as we before we let you go, I would say, I would say, um, don't freak out about it. It's to me, it's it, it. It actually makes sense considering the lack of the caucus's ability to solve the PFD uh, the last six years have proven that point. So um, the caucus is still important for organization. It's important for the other things we do agree on, um, but for the PFD, it does not work. And I guess I'm okay with that. And I've you know, come to grips with it and it's time to work um, with people throughout the building to see if we can get a solution done. I'm hoping um, the people that are very uh, uh, absolutely do not want to see a constitutional convention will it will make them think long and hard about coming together and agreeing on a, a, something fair and reasonable. That's the other thing. Anything less than 50 50 is not going to pass the people's it's not going to pass muster. So I, I think we're in a good point maybe to get it done. And if it doesn't, the people will choose to have a constitutional convention. All right. Well, Shelly Hughes, thank you so much for coming on board this morning. We appreciate you being part of it. And uh, we look forward to seeing uh, what happens here in the next, I guess, 60 days uh, before we run out of daylight. Um, We would love to see some kind of resolution to that, because if not, we're going to have to open up that Constitution and that's going to be a hot mess for sure. Yeah. And and, um, one last thing, SB 140, the girls sports, even playing field that um, that that testimony is at 10 o'clock Saturday and I'll go in, I'll, I'll get on Facebook and I'll type in the email and, and the call in numbers for that. Um, but that we believe we can get that to the Senate floor. And, you know, sometimes we can't get things through the house, but it's important to get people on record on some of these items. And that can make a difference as far as who comes back. Yeah, no. So, are important things. It's one of the reasons why I've pushed for a full vote of the PFD for years, because you need to get people on record so they have to face that record come election time. No better time than this right now. So absolutely. Oh, certainly. Yes. All right. <clears throat> Shelly Hughes, thank you so much for coming on board. We appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Always a pleasure. All right. Uh, Shelly Hughes, our guest here on the program, getting ready to dive into it here with Mike Shower in just a moment. And we're going to uh, chat with him here <clears throat> in a hot minute and get him ready to uh, to go in on this. Um, you know, I think, again, Jim's comment, I am not assured, is pretty much, it is pretty much how I'm feeling right now. 
you know, let's that that's uh that's that's pretty much how I'm feeling right now. I am not assured that these things are going to be going well. I mean, we're basically going to have to open up the Constitution. That's what it's going to come down to. I mean, I I think that that's almost a given at this point. All right. Well, we got to jump back into it. <clears throat> Mike Shower is going to join us in just a second. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator and around the world at MichaelDukeShow.com on the interwebs. Hi, and how are you? Welcome to hour two of the big radio program Hump Day. And that means we get to dive into it uh, on hour two with our regular guest uh, joining us uh, from an undisclosed secret location somewhere in Juneau, State Senator Mike Shower uh, comes on for what we like to call poetically the Shower Hour of Power. Good morning, my friend. How are you? I am at an undisclosed secret location in Juneau, which should tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> oh, man. He's, it's just so great, man. It's just so great to be here. It's just so. I'm excited. I, Can't you I, tell? I love it here. I think it's great. It's much better than cats. I'd come here again and again. Um, all right, my friend. Well, uh, look, uh, the, uh, we just got off the horn with uh, Shelly Hughes, and um, she just confirmed that here we are halfway through the special session with n- not a single majority caucus meeting coming about, that she says that at this point, that doesn't really matter, um, that uh, it's better to work outside the caucus anyway. And, um, and th- that's just what we should expect. I mean, I, you know, again, I'm going to quote Jim in the chat room. I am not assured, Michael, I am not assured that this is good for us, that this is good to move forward. I mean, <laughs> we feel like we're bashing our heads against the wall out here. You know, we've been fighting for a smaller government and for a full PFD. And all we've seen so far is, uh, you know, well, we couldn't possibly cut and we couldn't possibly give you a statutory PFD. And, oh, look, some of us will come off and, and compromise a bit to see if we can move the move the move the, the ball at all. And then it turns out that, oh, well, we moved to 50 50. So now they're going to move to 75 25. And every maneuver, every move just seems to be countered at some point or another. Can we just get back to a smaller government and a full statutory PFD, please? I mean, what what do we got to do? Who do we got to whose butt do we got to kiss? Who do we have to kill? What is the deal here? 
Well, Michael, it's uh, as the saying goes, it's you love it or hate it, but it's you know, 21, 11, and one. And so far, you know, we have not had 21, 11, and one for the things that you just described. The reality right now, again, I got it, I hear you, and I agree with probably most people on this program, including you. We've talked about it for five years now since I've been in this silly circus. The reality is, every time we try, we get outvoted. Like I told you before, short of, you know, picking up your guns and, you know, a revolution, I don't know what to do because we don't have the numbers. I keep watching people talk in your chat room and talk at town halls and everything else and say, do this and do that. I go, I hear you. Tell me how I'm going to get it through a legislative body that has too many people that are either big government types, pro-tax, anti-PFD, whatever the thing may be. They're not voting for it. Can't get them to vote for it. And I can't make them vote for it with whatever leverage we may have or not have. There aren't enough of us, Mike. I even hear people sometimes talk, well, use this maneuver. You can do this and you can do that. And I hear it from a certain person in another legislator's office that you should do this and do that. How? I don't even have the numbers most of the time as a body to, to stop things from happening you know, just, based you just, on the rules, like a three-quarter vote required or whatever. We've tried that a few times. Well, you know, everybody bells. You have like three left. Right. That's not enough out of 20. Hey, you, so, you, you just got to vote hard. You. you just got to vote harder, Mike. That's it. Yeah, I know. Just push vote. the button harder. Maybe that'll make it Push. Just so vote just harder. Like, I, don't, I don't know what you want me to tell you, Mike. I mean, not you. I know we talk about it, but I don't know what people want me to tell them. The way the system is set up, the, the system of governance we have has these checks and balances, and it requires a certain number of people to pass things. And right now, everybody does not agree with what most of the people on this program want, because you keep sending back people that don't vote for those things, and their districts seem to be happy with them, and the ones that aren't have replaced them, but it's not enough to overcome the numbers you're talking about to do the things that people on this program want. Well, then talk to the people in Juneau. Talk to people in the West End of Fairbanks. Talk to half of Anchorage. Talk to Kodiak. Talk to a lot of rural Alaska. Talk to the people that are Senate reps and, and senators that don't vote for these things, that don't vote for a PFD, unless it's a paltry one, that vote for more taxes, that vote for bigger government, that refuse to vote for reduction. Mike, we had people like Giesel and Coghill that are supposed conservatives that wanted and forced us because it's not a binding caucus then to override the vetoes. Myself and Hughes and a few others lost everything we had that had any influence and leverage anyways. Right. When we didn't vote for it because we were overrun by supposed conservative Republicans. What the hell are we supposed to do? <laughs> Tell me. Well, I mean, I hear you guys. I hear you loud yeah. and clear, but we don't have the flipping numbers. Right. And you can get pissed off about it. You can sit here and rant and rave all you want on your mountaintop with your megaphone. We don't have the numbers every time we try. Enough of them don't vote for it, and even some of the supposed conservatives. So tell me a path, as I asked last week on my Facebook Live. Show me the path that solves the problem mathematically and politically. Lots of people talk about one or the other, but not both. And if you don't have both, it doesn't work. The Zach in the chat room, I think, basically lays down the the, the whole point here. He says, 
59 legislators are up for re-election this year. I guess that's our opportunity. That and the Constitutional Convention. I mean, that's it. I mean, there's 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 nothing else. And 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 somebody just said, well, quit lecturing us. No, no. I think Mike has got the right of it here because again, you know, you you went to the POMV, you supported it, they immediately moved the football, jerked it out from underneath you, and you're back to the full statutory PFD position because you're again tried to compromise. Nobody wanted to play fair, play ball, so you're back to it. But again, you're one of 60 and there may be <clears throat> there may be 15 or 18 of 60 who are on the full PFD bandwagon but nobody else wants to play ball so what how do you move do you kidnap their families and hold them hostage i mean do you, what what is the solution here i don't know mike i'm not lecturing anybody you're asking a question i'm telling you what it is people keep complaining about it i'm telling you what the battlefield looks like you can't lecture anybody I'm explaining what it is because clearly some people don't seem to understand what it is because like, well, just do this. How? That's the same question I keep asking, Mike, that people say, do these things that I'm asking you how. I'm literally asking you. I'm not lecturing anybody. How do you propose to solve the problem in a way that's going to work with the system of governance we have? How? Right. That's the question. Tell me how, and I'm not saying it rhetorically. I'm like literally asking you, how do I solve the problem in a way that you want me to? Because right now there is no option in front of me to force other people to vote the way people want, at least on this program, to do it. I've talked, we talked to her blue in the face, Mike, call, write, email, vote differently, support other candidates in other races if you like the ones like what yours are doing or your area. You know, there are things you certainly can do. Run for office, help good people out, go actually campaign for them. How many people in this program, other than complaining, have done that? Have they given hundreds or thousands of dollars to other candidates to help them win? Have they walked doors for them in neighborhoods, handed out flyers? Have they made phone calls for them on a phone bank? Have they texted for them? Have they actually helped or have they just gotten on here and complained about it? Right. Well, These are the things that you ask, what can I do? You can do things like that. Just a few weeks ago, Mike, off of a group that we had up in, in the uh, Matsu cult that we started for kind of preparation, trying to teach people skill sets and how to prepare, have food, you know, those kinds of things. One of the things that came from it, we had some friends and they said, hey, you know, they asked, what can I do? So, you know what? I, I said on Facebook too a couple weeks ago, I said, I could use some help looking at bills because we get bills all the time. There's hundreds of, there's like 500 freaking bills. You can't possibly look at them all and research every one. You don't have the time. So I'm like, is there anybody available that can help me? Well, I think we've got about 30 or more people now signed up that were distributing bills and going, look at these bills. These bills are coming. These bills are dead. Don't bother. Look at these. Research them. Look at the background. Who who put them out there? What are the pitfalls, the gotchas? Help us. You know, this, this is just another thing that people can do. So trying to find those things, Mike. But some of the big hurdles here come down to simple numbers. Without the people to vote for the things that you want, you're not going to get them. And there are certainly leverage things you can use. But right now, the biggest leverage we have is the election coming up and you need to send back different people. And if it's if you're not helping people in other districts get elected that are the ones that are not helping get what you want, then you're failing. And if the, none of this works, which I again predict it probably won't through this session, 
the final fallback you got, folks, I've been telling you now for months is the Constitutional Convention, because that's where you can elect new people and have different folks, not legislators, and hopefully they will solve the problem. Outside of that, I don't know what to tell you. Well, I guess my first question is, I mean, to, is for people who are, again, you know, crying about the full PFD and everything else, which I think, you know, we're we're all on board for. We all want a full PFD. Is there even a proposal right now in the legislature to support a full PFD? Is there even anything on the table that's not been put in a drawer somewhere by finance that, that we can actually even act on at this point? There are bills and the budget will come out and we will amend it again, or I should say we will try to amend it. I will certainly do it myself. I know some others will too, to for a full PFD. It will come out, Mike. It will be attempted, but I will tell you what the result will likely be. <laughs> they will get voted down because I've done it every single year since I've been here, every one. And so they will probably get voted down. A full PFD this year, 4,000, 4,200, something like that, ballpark-ish. The, four, the revenue forecast, you're going to love this because last week I was told it was going to be north of $2 billion more than expected. I'm hearing $4 billion more because the price of oil keeps spiking. Right. Mike, right now we could pay a full PFD. We could inflation-proof. We could put a little bit of money aside back into the CBR to meet that constitutional requirement, pay the budget as is, kind of presented from the governor, and do all of that without deficit spending. Right. Well, I, so I heard why you... wouldn't we? Because that's putting money away for the future. Right. Well, everybody no. seems to be so concerned about and a full PFD to help the citizens and follow the law this year for a change before and if we ever change it. Wow. Look what we can do. But, well, no, we're talking about an energy rebate because we can't talk about the PFD. We wouldn't want to tie that to anything, would we? Well, and that's it. Exactly. That is a, that's a whole, that's a whole, uh, of, you know, kind of voodoo economics thing where we're going to, we're going to show you here, but it's not going to be an actual PFD. It's actually just an energy rebate and it only things. And then it plays right back into our 75, 25 split that we want to push and everything else. And it's all fun and games and all that stuff. But the bottom line is, you know, I'm hearing you guys are going to be getting enough money. Uh, and we're, and now everybody's, now everybody's on vacation waiting for the new spring revenue forecast to come out. Out. But I'm hearing that you guys may have enough money just in raw revenue that you don't even have to draw from the ERA this year. I mean, there's some significant stuff going on, and yet they still look at us and go, oh, you're just being greedy. We can't give you that money. Let us just delve it out for you. I mean, that's that that's that's the crazy part right now. Because there's people, Mike, that want that, that they can't stand for the money to be in the hands of the people. They have to get their paws on it first and always go through the government back to the cash programs right the value of, of government programs and i've asked people before i've said well i had a debate with a guy last week a week or two ago in my office came here talking about you know he's from the oil industries you know different things and asking some questions it, it was a fair debate but he asked me he was talking about well yeah about the value of those programs I'm like yeah um have you ever uh, called the police uh, well no so have you ever called firefighter he's like mm, no ever called for ems he's like no you have kids in school. Uh, no, don't have any kids yet. I'm like, so what exactly of government services besides them regulating your life and taxing you for taxing tax, you know, property taxes and whatever, what exactly is the cash value they've given you so far? And he's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, yeah. You know, it's all roads. Well, don't you pay for roads with taxes every time you buy a gallon of gas? Well, yeah, you do. So again, describe to me, what is the cash value of those programs for the average citizen? 
for most people, it ain't much, Mike. And for a lot of us, I would contend it's more of a, a hassle in your life than actually giving you anything. <laughs> Wait, it's taking money out of the private economy that could be in the private economy, turning and being invested huh. in creating jobs. And instead, huh. it's maintaining jobs and only turning once or twice in an economy based on the huh. government spend. I mean, that's ain't, yeah, ain't that, ain't that it's, it's just crazy, isn't it? All right. Hold the line. We're going to jump back into it. Mike Shower is our guest. Uh, he is with us for the full hour. We'll be back in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. It ain't much. It ain't much. That's pretty much it right there. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Mike Shower continues with us right after these messages. Don't go anywhere. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. Radio. Okay, we're in the break. <clears throat> Mike Showers, our guest. Um, Mike, um, you know, why don't we get a bunch of bills that, um, you know, instead of putting in an amendment, why don't we get a bunch of bills that are all just full PFD bills. I mean, they'll all get killed in committee, but why can't we get them at least to get public testimony so that we can get people on record? Uh, why why not push for something like that versus, uh, you know, waiting till the amendment process? Well, some of those bills are there, Mike. They've been there since last year. The governor filed them again. Some other ones were filed for different legislators. Everyone we came up, we put them up for public testimony again. And as I was lamenting through last year and earlier this year, I said, as I've told people before, again, on the program and others, I said, you know, a couple of years ago, 2019, we had thousands of people testify. Last year, we had hundreds. This year, we had dozens. People seem to be either losing interest, losing energy to fight the system, just battle fatigue in general. But. I don't know if people are just giving up, Mike, and saying to heck with it. It's not worth it. They're never going to listen to us anyways. I don't know. But I can tell you that I'm hearing a sense of some legislators going, victory, we're winning. We're beating the people down, and they're giving up. There's some of people think that, Mike, here, and, and then they get their union freaking goons and others to call in, you know, because they can do that, and they get them to call in to go, pro-government, this PFD is terrible. You need to be giving it to government, and we get those people that call in right? because they're really good at grassroots and, and directing their people and ordering them what to do. Um, and so you get either few citizens calling in now anymore like we were a few years ago, or you get the ones that want to make sure the PFD is, is taken for government because they have a direct interest and it goes into their pockets because, of course, the unions want it, right, because if the money's in the hands of government, those legislators that are on their side will make sure it's funneled through them to their people. Got it. The average citizen, the private sector person loses because that's how this works. So, you know, I don't know, Mike, we'll see it. We'll get them, but the amendments will be in there. The bills have been there, but we'll have to amend it again because we're not getting much movement on a lot of those. And we're going to have to bring up the vehicles on the floor to amend them. That's just how the process is working. And that's kind of where we are right now. So, and quite frankly, um, unless we could find the will to do it, bills that are stuck in these committees, they're not going to be moved. We've had finance co-chairs. We've talked about that how many times now are just sitting on bills and refuse to move them. And unless you can get on the votes on the floor to pull them out, they're stuck there anyways. So you're going to have to amend whatever bill 
or so-called vehicle makes it to the floor. And that's what you're That's what we have to work with. And that's just, that's what it is. Mike shower is our guest. Um, we're, uh, you know, the, the problem is, man, uh, we are, uh, I mean, we're just, everybody's frustrated. Yours frustrated. Yep. You're frustrated. The listeners are frustrated. Everybody else. I mean, I, I don't even, I just don't even know how to fix what's going on right now. We're that's, it's kind of where we're at. We're just, we can't even fix where we're at. No, and I saw a guy comment on there, Michelle was showing me. She said, he said that sitting on hold for hours kind of sucks. I'm like, yeah, it does. I get back to you. You can call off hours. You can call in outside of testimony. You can write in testimony. You can email it, whatever. You know, that can be ignored just as fast as the testimony that you're doing online officially when they just sit there and doodle and look at their phone or whatever. So I'm just saying the things I see, Mike. Um, you're not changing their minds, but you are showing them your displeasure. And, you know, sometimes there's enough public outcry that things do change. It's rare. Right. I've seen it now and then, like SB91. That becomes such an outcry. We actually did repeal that thing. Um, you know, but that took a lot and consistent public pressure. And so far it's not generally working with the PFD other than you have been, you have been successful to an extent, folks, you have won some of the battles. It's not like you've lost everything. You kicked out a lot of people out of office. I mean, people, legislators have been dropping like flies, the ones that are anti PFD. So it's not like you guys have completely failed in the public to hold them accountable. The problem is you just haven't gotten rid of enough of the ones. But you've gotten rid of quite a few, so don't think you haven't been successful at some extent, and you put a heck of a lot of pressure on, and a lot of them are running scared. Why do you think they're trying to buy your boats right now with an energy rebate, folks? Right. Because you're putting pressure on them. No, exactly. And legislators are losing their job. So you're more effective than you think. I don't want you to just be completely down and out. It's just not enough to do everything you want. Hold on. Hold on. Let's, uh, let's, let's, Let's keep going. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Well, <clears throat> continuing now, Mike Shower, our guest. Good thing, I got him all good and spun up here during the break for you guys. Just, you know, I see it as my civic duty to just poke him until he just <laughs> runs away like a top. Um, but you're right. I mean, look, we know what the we know what the solutions are, right? I mean, let me let me let me just outline them and you can agree or disagree. But here, you know, here here are the solutions. Obviously, we need a full PFD. Obviously, that's like a no-brainer at this point. And there is no more, in my opinion, there's no more compromise. You guys offered the compromise. They kicked you in the crotch for doing that and said, no, 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 we'll compromise, but only over here. And so I'm already back to a full PFD. I mean, that's where I'm at right now. The second thing is, you know, we need to open up the formulas. We need to look at everything from school funding to any other kind of formula that's baked in with automatic increases. They should have to compete for those dollars every year, just like everything else. We need to look at things like, you know, para and some of the other things with unions and organizations and contracts. Those are the things that we can control and will make the most difference. Am I wrong on any of those things right now? The math will be hard on the PFD, the statutory current, Mike, unless we can make those other things work. If we can, then yes, it works, which is why I go back to there's a math problem and a political problem. And part of what you described is the political problem. 
Can you do enough to open up the BSA formula? Can you look at the other programs without everybody and every union person coming and screaming so bad that everybody flinches and, and backs off in the battle? So you're not wrong in an individual aspect of what you said. It's just that is there enough on both sides of that, both the math and the political problem? Because the reality is we've talked about that math here, right? Right. A statutory PFD with the size of the government right now, it doesn't work. Because we are going to start drawing down the PFD or the, the permanent fund itself, that's the math. At the moment, we're not. But you and I both know the high oil price, the stock market, what we're enjoying right now with federal dollars that we weren't counting on that are funny money, is not going to last forever. We should take advantage of it and do all these good things that we can do right now while we can. But we're still going to have to solve this problem because if next year or the year after that, it goes back down, we're back into being Venezuela as a, you know, a petro state. This is a we are a boom and bust economy because the price of oil. So we still need permanent solutions to it. You know where I stand on the reductions, the state spending and all those things. I just we can't get there. So, you know, we'll be battling about this again next year or the year after or whatever. Once the the big flow of money we have right now tightens up, it's what we were dealing with the last couple of years. Well, OK, let so, me let me disagree with you just on one thing. I mean, you know, you say sure. a full statutory PFD is hard because it's the math and the numbers. I, you know, here's the thing. I don't care. Um, I think that the PFD needs to be paid first. You want to put pressure on the I, rest of government to get their poop in a group? Guess I, I what? agree. Just right. Pay, pay. That's pressure. It is. I totally agree with you. Yeah. I'm just saying I'm going to I'm going to ask people. The question becomes when you want a full PFD and we can't make those reductions and we start drawing down the fund, which is going to hurt the whole state and people or taxes are coming to pay for it. That's where we're at right now. I'm not telling you that I agree with it. I'm telling you what the likely move of the legislature is going to be. And then, of course, greatly depending on who the next governor is and how that's going to play out, where that might go with the whole thing. Because well, one of them on that list will be a pro-tax guy. Well, actually, two of them, depending on who. Right. Well, I mean, that that leads me to my uh, the next big question. Thank you very much for the great segue. But I mean, what difference does a, you know, you know, play it out in your mind? You know, what what is the the the, you know, what is the right choice here in the governor? Uh, How much of a difference does it make? I mean, if it's a strong, conservative, pro communication governor um, that's a true, you know, fiscal conservative and, and is going to stand, then how big of a difference does that make in the legislature at that point? If they're willing well, to take a stand and use the red pen to, you it, know, to it their matters, advantage. Mike, but it goes back to the legislature still a part of it, right? It's, you know, where people blame the current governor for some of the things, sure. Some things are his fault, but some of it's not, he can't appropriate the amount of money. If the legislature doesn't give it to him, there's nothing he can do besides veto other things, including the whole budget. But at some point, that's all going to break down, right? Somebody's going to flinch eventually on the state budget for moving or shutting certain things down. Because eventually, if it goes long enough, you will shut it down, right? And then somebody's going to cave, whoever that is, legislature, governor, enough of somebody will. They just will. That's that's human nature. But it, it matters, of course, for all the things you said of who the right person is, but you can have the strongest governor on the planet. Um, and if the legislature won't play ball, which is what happened starting in 2019, where even the Republican controlled Senate and that Senate president rules chair and others completely fought the governor on every single turn. And as I've explained to people, he made good moves on the initial vetoes that put serious pressure. And there was nothing wrong with how that could have worked out. We would have made it happen and had downward pressure and he had full PFD and all the stuff in there. And the legislature fought him on every turn. 
at the end of the day, it took a year for the veto overrides over and over repeated battles. I got slaughtered. You know, Hughes, we got lost everything because we stuck with the vetoes and the PFD. We could be lost chairmanship. All the stuff's gone. That was the binding, right? We're going to just punish you for your speech. We're going to punish you for your votes. They told us that. And they did. And it went all the way to January of 2020, a year later. And then that final thing, Mike, there might have been maybe 10 of us left out of 60 that stuck with them on the vetoes. And it didn't matter because it wasn't enough to, at that point, to prevent the override. They overrode everything. So I go back to, we didn't have enough people to hold on to those reductions in spending. So unless you get enough people in the legislature that are going to do that and stick to it, when the pressure builds and the unions are pounding at their door and the unions show up at the big town hall events with a hundred of them there with red shirts screaming and yelling at you and they can deal with that pressure, well, they ain't going to change because the pressure got to most of them by the time that was done for one reason or another or certain programs that they wanted. Well, you know, I got to support that program, so I'm going to have to. And that's how it worked. I watched it. I was one of a handful, Mike, out of the 60 that stood to the very last veto. Because I knew we needed the downward pressure. And it wasn't even about the PFD. It was just trying to rein in the size and cost of government. And sometimes I believe you just had to hit it with a sledgehammer and let it work it out. I'm the guy back from the, I said it over and over on the floor. I'm a military guy. What happens to us? They don't care. They don't care about the mission. They just, Congress comes in and go, we need more money for social welfare stuff. So we're going to cut the military by 5%. And you get a 5% across the board cut and everybody sucks it up. There's no, you know, nobody gets protected. Y'all got to figure out how to make it work. And we do because that's our marching orders. Well, you know what? We could do that too. We go, you know what? We're not the experts. The commissioners are. The directors of divisions are. The agency leads are. Let them figure it out. Tell them they're getting a 2% cut every year for the next four years or whatever. Pick it right, up. Right. And you do it. You figure it out because you're the expert. You put the money where it needs to be. You figure out how to cut the bottom couple programs or whatever you don't really need and make it more efficient. That's probably what I would do if I was governor because instead of getting into individual battles, go, everybody's going to figure out how to make this work. And we're all going to help lower the cost of government, you know, whatever. But, you know, go back to that little thing we were saying there, you know, on the break, because I think that's important that people hear that because people are frustrated, they're angry, they're mad. I am right now getting mad again, thinking about all this stuff and the level of frustration, but you're not, you haven't been completely unsuccessful folks. You have won some of the battle. You have kicked out of office a lot of people in the last six, seven years change, change, on this anti-PFD yeah. thing. You've done some pretty good work. You haven't gotten rid of enough, and there's some from other districts that don't think like you think on this program, that maybe they're going to keep sending them back. They're anti-PFD, big government, you know, liberals, whatever they are. But you've gotten rid of quite a few, some of them that were supposed conservatives or fiscal conservatives. They're gone. So you have done some pretty good work, folks, and you have put a heck of a lot of pressure on the legislature, on things like the PFT and other stuff. So don't think you're completely failing. You're not. Well, we changed the only out, problem we is changed, we just don't have enough yet. Yeah, we changed out like 40% of the legislature in the last yes. six years. I mean, it's you know it's a big chunk. The changing of the players continues. As I've often said, though, and as Shelly Hughes was just talking about, she they, they said in counting heads, they figured they had 50 out of 60 who were in favor of the fiscal policy working group stuff, and yet you had one person or two people out of that remaining 10 that basically held the rest of the legislature hostage. There was nothing that could happen. That the, they 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 were in key positions, and so it means that the that the bloodbath must continue. We must continue to change out those players. 
yeah, that doesn't change, Mike. That never stops. I mean, you should always be doing that. I'm, you know, believe in the sense of term limits of people voting them out after a couple terms or one term or depending on their performance. I don't think people should be there for 20 or 30 or 40 years. I'm not a fan of that. I think people should go serve a couple terms and go back home. I think that was the intent of the founders. I don't think we wanted, our founders wanted a professional political class and people serve in government forever. That was never the intent. And that's where corruption comes from and long-serving people that get tied into lobbyists and big money and all the rest of it. I'm not a fan of that, Mike. I think that people should serve for a little bit and go home. That is one of the fundamental problems we have. I don't know if, you know, how term limits would even pass, how you would get people to you know, that want to be there for 30 years to pass a term limit that would kick themselves out of office. That'd be kind of like a business owner going, yeah, I'm going to figure out a way to put myself out of business in five years. <laughs> Nobody says that, but I get it. But I don't think you should serve here forever. That's a self, uh, that would take self-discipline. And that would take a sense of going, I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing it for, you know, the people in the state that it represents and not for myself. And so unfortunately, we have people on both sides of the aisle. We have a lot of self-promoters. I, mean, I don't know if you notice that, Mike. There's a lot of people when you look at stuff, they got pictures of themselves all the time. Oh, I'm on this. I'm on Fox News. I'm doing this. I've got a picture of me doing that. I'm picture, picture, picture. You see me all over the place, always talking about stuff. There's a lot of self promotion going on, Mike, from people. Um, and so, you know, those are people that want to stay in the system. They want to play the game. They got bigger intents for their themselves and what they're going to do. That's not everybody. There's some good people in the legislature, but there's some that are there for themselves and long serving. They've got their own agenda well, and their own path you well, know, to bigger and better things or I whatever. Mean, the framers talked about this. This is the danger of career politicians versus uh, citizen legislators. I mean, that's kind of the that's kind of the whole problem there. Um, I mean, I think we're going to lose. Uh, I think we're going to lose some of these folks uh, come November. I think some of these I folks, I, I think some of these folks are going to be out, but the question is, what does that do for us now? I mean, how do we battle it now? I mean, is it the constant, you know, and, and this is what I really, we're coming up on the break. So this is really what I really want to talk about when we get back. And that is the solution of the constitution. We could talk about formula spending. We could talk about, you know, challenging the unions. We could talk about, you know, full PFD bills. We could talk about all those things. And those are all things we should be supporting, but at the same time, the thing that really makes the whites of their eyes show, it seems lately, is this idea of a constitutional convention. So I want to pick it up. Um, uh, I want to pick it up on the other side here, and we'll we'll jump into it. The Michael Duke Show continues. Mike Shower is our guest. We're going to continue with him here in just a moment, and we will uh, get more. One final segment left. Don't go anywhere. We'll return in a moment with more common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. What is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. Okay, we're in the break here, and uh, we got Mike Shower on. I'm going back to the chat room here for a second. Oh, God help us. I know. Um, uh, respond to Harold's question or stay silent because, as you said, it doesn't make a difference. It makes a difference to the vote. Okay, let me go back to the question because I commonly just ignore Harold's questions anyway because he does, all he does is bitch about stuff. But where is the question here that he's looking at? I'm well, while you're looking for it, I'll say Michelle made a comment looking because she's tracking them. And she's like, you know, for those that ask, you know, that I can't run for office, you know, you have to do that, whatever. Well, go to be a community council then. 
Those are like once a month. They're small. Yeah. They're your local community. But guess what, folks? The left fills those community councils with people and proposals and things to your borough. And then up the chain from there, start often at your community council. Go fill those where it takes almost no time and you don't have to go anywhere, but in your own doggone community. Do something. Uh, so here's the question. Bills to reform the spending formulas? Question mark. Where are the bills to reform the spending formulas? There's no bills filed to reform the spending formulas. Zero. That's what he said. So um, are you talking, is he specifically talking BSA in this case, like of uh, education? I'm assuming, well, I'm assuming that's included in there, but I, I don't know. So that's what he said. So bills to reform the spending formulas, which we all agree is a key component into reducing and limiting the size and scope of government to keep it from automatically growing is you've got to go into those formulas and break them apart and either reduce them or eliminate them completely so that they have to compete with all the other dollars. You and I have talked about this before at length. Um, but any bills to reform the spending and if there isn't one, why haven't you built one? That's, I guess, that's probably the question. I guess I go back to the same thing, Mike, I should do it all right. I should fight every single big battle because I've got so much staff and so much time that I should take on the election system, which I'm doing, which is what people want in this group. I'm also fighting the entire judicial branch pretty much by myself because that's what people want here. I've been fighting the PFD battle. I did the fiscal policy working group that tried to come up with a compromise that would make it work. But yeah, I, I should probably take on the formula for every agency as well because we'll get no progress on that either. I don't know where the hours in the day are or the staff to do all of those things, but Mike, there are only so many battles any individual legislator can pick. Some of this has to be a divide and conquer. Right. There is only so much out, so many hours in the day, brother. And well, I you can only going back to the military more battles. Going back to the military standpoint, you can only fight on so many fronts before you become ineffective on all fronts. Right. I mean, Correct. so you know, you you you've got to be able to pick and choose your battle. Your battle has been election reform and the PFD um, and the judicial branch and the judicial reform. branch. So I mean, that's the big three right now, and because that's what your town halls are telling you, people are concerned about election reform and things like that so that's all that's that's all important don't get me wrong there are other people who have been focusing on some of these other things but again if there is no support from the other 59 people no matter who does it that stuff just sits in a committee drawer somewhere until somebody deigns to even pull it out if that's the possibility right and, now. and, and right now mike you can say what you want but the house is controlled by democrats it doesn't matter who files a bill from the governor to the Senate president or anybody else in the Senate. The House won't even hear it if it touches education. If it touches the, the golden BSA, anything to do with teachers, because it would be, oh, Mike, it's for the children. Anything right. you do that's going to touch education, the House is going to kill it. So I go back to not only do I, I can't fight every battle on every front. But, Mike, you got to pick your freaking battles. You're going to pick something that is not going to be entertained by the House. It is a waste of your time right now until we have a different organization next year, hopefully controlled by people that are willing to look at these things. Because I know what the battleground looks like now because I'm freaking right standing in the middle of it. Right. The House isn't going to move those, which is why I'm working with a House majority Democrat on election reform. Because my bill was dead in the water. Why do I know that? Because they told me it was. We're not even going to hear it. 
Right. So, all right, well, is there an option to do something? Yes, I found a Democrat that was willing to work in it. So we're going to try to do a bipartisan bill where we can agree on it. That will work. I'm looking at some judicial stuff that I'm trying to move. But, of course, I've got Republicans in the Senate killing it. So you can say all these things all day long, Mike. My point trying to tell people this is what the hell do you want me to fight? I'm trying, folks. But I'm either getting stymied by Republicans, I'm getting stymied by the House Democrats controlling, and you've got to pick your battles. And I'm trying desperately to find ways to work around with what we have to get some of these things move forward. But the system is, it's not a, it's not a wrestling match, Mike. We don't, we don't get to step in the ring. And if you win, then that's what we're going to do. That's not how it works. These people can just say, I'm not going to vote it. I'm not going to support it. I'm not going to hear it. And we know stuff goes over to judiciary in the house and and Matt Clayman goes, I'm not hearing that. Exactly. Well, the thing is, uh, you know, as we and now that we don't even have a binding or not a binding, but a a caucus that's even going to meet and work together, even though it's a caucus of equals, you guys can't even coordinate (laughs) on bills that you can all pull together and and fight for. I mean, if you had a bill that was on formulas or on the PFD or on something like that, that everybody could agree on, you could all at least pull together. But if you're one legislator that pulls all your time to pour into one bill that goes nowhere but a drawer. How effective are you? I mean, that's that's the big question. You're, hold on, we're up against it. We got to get back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. One final segment. Let's do it. All right, one final segment. Mike Shower is our guest. We're coming down to the end. I'm going to give him free reign to talk about whatever he wants to talk about. But the bottom line is, is that we need to come together. We need to continue to change out the players to continue to put more pressure. We need to put a conservative governor in the mansion who is not afraid to do nothing but use the red pen all day long to put Sharpie out of business because they bought so many of the red pens and basically just red lines. They would just return sheet after sheet of red paper. That's what we need if we're going to get anything done. And Mike Shower is enumerating all the frustrations that's happening as they continue to try and fight this and can't get enough support from their fellow Republicans. Mike Schauer, our guest. Hello, sir. Or not just fellow Republicans or House. That was our big rant there on the break, right? It's a you can do all these things that people want you to fight these battles. And I'm like, there's only so many battlefronts, right? I can take on as one person with a couple staffers and, and limited hours in the day. But you also have to be strategic about what you pick, Mike, because I don't know what was in the break and what was on the radio. So continuing that discussion back on the program is that you can sit here and go do this and you got to just crack that formula open. You got to have these bills. That's great. But if the House is controlled by Democrats, which it is, they're not going to hear those bills. So quit telling me these great ideas you have. Unless you understand the battlefield as it sits today, because you can do that and say, well, if I get elected, I would do this. Really? Would you? Huh? You're just going to snap your fingers, huh? And people are just going to snap, too, because if you're in the Senate and you want to file something on the BSA, the House isn't going to hear it. Ask me how I know, because they said they're not, which means your idea goes nowhere. I've had people on the Republican side in the House of say, well, I filed a bill to move the legislature. How many hearings have you gotten that bill? Well, I, I haven't actually gotten a hearing. I filed a bill to do this. How many hearings have you got? Well, no hearings. Well, pretty effective. You filed a bill. Yay. You've gotten nothing. 
So unless you know you can move it through your body and you can somehow figure out to move it through the other body, and then the governor, whoever that is, isn't going to veto it, you ain't going anywhere. And you're doing nothing other than just showing your face and right. saying, yay me, look what I did. And you accomplished nothing. <laughs> and by the way, you better know that you can get it through the courts. Because depending on what it is, the freaking courts in this state are going to strike it down anyways, like they tend to do. And you, you did it all for nothing. So you better be very strategic about your battles that you pick, Mike, and what you think you can get through, or you're wasting your time. And as I described going into the break, we don't have time to waste. Because I'm personally taking on election reform. Why? Because that seems to be one of the biggest issues for conservatives in the state. And a lot of people, they want faith. So I'm trying that one. Well, guess what? My bill, dead, going to the House. How do I know? Because a bunch of House Democrats and the majority said, we ain't hearing that. It's dead on arrival. So what I do, I say, okay, well, we need some stuff. We got to make it better. So I'm working with the House Democrat, like I said, to try to find a path to do something other than nothing and just be in gridlock and, and accomplish nothing. Same thing I'm trying on the judicial reform. But that one's being stymied by Republicans. They won't hear it in Senate finance. They refuse to hear that bill. It's been sitting there for a year. Mike, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Folks, uh, I want you understand to... the battlefield and what you're asking. You need to understand it. It's not set up to just do the things you want just done because that's not how it works. Right. You have to be able to get things through. Well, you one know... body and both bodies and a governor and a judicial or a, a, a judicial branch. That leans left. Mike and strikes down most stuff conservatives do anyways. Mike, let me uh let me let me barge in here and say Please do. Here's part of the problem. Here is part of the problem. Here's why a lot of the people, including my own listeners, have been conditioned to believe that you, Mike Shower, could fix this if only you would file this magical bill that would make it work. Here's here is why because they've been conditioned to believe that. Because of election cycle after election cycle, some politician says, "I'm going to give you your full PFD or I'm going to fix X problem. I'm going to go in there and do that." And they go, "Oh, really? Okay, well we'll vote him in." And they do. And of course, Sometimes things come together and everybody kumbayas, but for the most part, it's just campaign rhetoric. We've all been conditioned by this campaign rhetoric to believe that that one legislator uh, in the Congress or in the state Senate or in the or the assembly is we believe that that one legislator is going to make it all by himself. And yet we never look at the details of how that actually works and the fact that he has to get the, the, the cooperation of however many are in a majority of the of the whole body. And that's we've just been conditioned to believe that. I mean, this is the whole thing. This is why, quite honestly, I find it refreshing for Charlie Pierce to say, I can't promise you a full PFD. I can promise I'll fight for it, but I can't promise that you're going to get it. I can't promise you're going to get those things because that's not within my power to do. It it you know it lays in the hands of the legislature. I I find that refreshing. That's what you're essentially saying here, and people are missing. No one person can go into the legislature and start burning the house down and thinking that he's going to get everybody on board to be with him. Um, you know, you can fight in that direction, but you've got to pick and choose your battles. That's exactly what it comes down to. Uh, yeah, you're right. Not that people want to hear that answer, and I'm sure people will still be upset on the program and yelling through spears. That's fine, folks. I'll take them. I don't mind it. I get it. I'm as frustrated as you are because I'm the one down here taking, taking the spears. And I'm trying to do the things that I can get myself to do, like a bipartisan election bill, because that's the only one that's going to work, and a judicial reform bill that's not going to even be heard in my own body. I have one to move the legislative session every other year, not every year, not the Capitol, just every other year. I made it through 
state affairs and judiciary, you know what's going to happen to it in finance, Mike? They're never going to hear it. It's just going to die. That's in my own caucus full of Republicans that you think might be interested in that. But the Republicans that control Senate finance have no desire to hear that bill. Again, that's how it works. You go, well, I could procedurally ask to move it onto the floor or move it from finance out into rules and then to the floor. But you know what? I got to have 11 votes to do that. You think I'm going to give 11 votes with the Democrats, seven Democrats and five, at least five Republicans that have no desire to do that? I'm not going to get the votes. I can't, I can't, there's nothing I can do with the procedures we're stuck working with. I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I want to win the battle, but it's stacked against us right now based on who's here. This state is not red, folks. It's like those that support DeSantis. Yay, he seems like a good guy, but he's got a very red legislator with base, legislature with basically a supermajority. They can do whatever the heck they want. I just had a Democrat in my office just a couple days ago talking about his bill, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, when I was first here years ago, you know, there was in the House, the Republicans had a supermajority. There was 27 of them. They pretty much did whatever they want. It was very smooth. We didn't have all the chaos now. They just rolled us. I'm like, okay. he's like, well, that's what it was. You know, he's like, we did our thing as a minority, but we got rolled every time and the Republicans did what they wanted. He said, that's really nice. Well, the reality is we don't have a supermajority right now in either body. And even within each body in each group, there's not a majority of agreement within those because, as we've talked about, Senate majority is fractured. It's got multiple groups. The Senate minority is kind of fractured in things. The House majority is really fractured right at 2021, right? And you need 21 just to have majority. So it's not, you know, folks, reality is painful sometimes. I'm not telling you what you want to hear, but that's – I promised you I wouldn't. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you kumbaya. It's great. We're going to do this. We're going to – I know better. I know better. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you what I see, and you can get angry and throw your spears and, and, and complain about it, and you have every right to, but I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you what I'm trying to do. I'm going to tell you who's doing what. I'm going to tell you what I see and make up your own mind, but I'm still going to implore you to get involved. Run for a community council if you could do nothing else. If you haven't gotten off the bench into the game, help other candidates because if you like the ones that are doing what you want, you got to help get rid of the ones that aren't complaining to your legislators that are generally doing what you want and doing nothing for the other ones is part of our problem. Mike, we're not helping the other people get elected that are stymieing the things that you want. That's politics. That's the power. That's how it works. If you want these things to happen, we need a majority. If you really want them to happen, we need a super majority. And you're going to have to get other people elected at this point to make it work. That's the synopsis in a nutshell. Donna Arduin gives us a piece, a piece of history in the chat room. Florida and its legislature were not read until a brave conservative became governor in 1999. And his actions convinced citizens that they want a conservative government. I think it all starts at the top. I agree with that. I think it all starts at the top. And maybe it becomes a wave that we can then take some of this stuff back. But it all comes back down to changing the players. And uh, and maybe maybe the Constitutional Convention uh, being the ultimate ace in the hole card, the ultimate threat being held over the heads of these folks. We got two minutes, Mike. I'm going to give you the floor. Well, Donna and I used to talk a lot. She she used to tell me. I mean, she probably said that to you know a lot of legislators. I'm just kidding, Donna. Wink, wink. Um, she said our we were you know our office was her favorite office because we're allies, talked about stuff, and I'm just kind of kidding, you know, joking with her, but. Um, you know, Donna could tell you, you've had her on the program, she'll give you the down low 
on what it was like trying to fight those battles. Not just, I mean, you have a bunch of people inside the administration fighting you. You know, the deep state type actors that are there from administration to administration. She saw what it's like working with certain finance co-chairs. Heck, Stedman's still sitting there on year four, right? So you have that kind of stuff going on um, with this. Donna's seen it. She, she certainly knows. But in the last minute, I will tell you this. One of the leverage things we have, and I am certainly playing to it right now, and that is the Constitutional Convention. They are scared to death of the Constitutional Convention. The Democrats are scared of it. They don't want it. They desperately don't want it. A lot of Republicans that are very moderate don't want it. Folks, that loan ought to tell you why you want it. The very people that are big pro-government folks, pro-tax, pro-government, a lot of them want to take PFD, don't want a Constitutional Convention. Why? Because they know they stand to lose. That should tell you without me having to go into anything else, why the Constitutional Convention is the right move. Because the people on this program that tend to be conservative and small government and blah, 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 um, they stand against you having a Constitutional Convention because they think you're going to take some of the power back. They think they're going to lose some of their control over this government. Folks, that's your fallback position. That is the catch. That's your leverage is the Constitutional Convention. When we screw it up, because we probably are, going to screw it up and not solve it again. That's probably what's going to happen. I, I predicted it. I, I did the Facebook Live last week, Mike. I told everybody, here's what they're going to do. Here's the step down program and blah, blah, blah. So there you go, brother. <clears throat> Love to get you wound up. All right. Well, coffee. I, you know, it, exactly. It's better than coffee. It's like a Red Bull and coffee together. It's amazing. Good Lord. Um, good. All right. Mike Schauer, uh, GOP State Senator, District E. Thank you, my friend. As always, it's good to hear from you. Appreciate it. Anytime. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. Don't go anywhere. All right, folks. Out of time. Tomorrow, ConCon, hour one. We're going to talk about that. Hour two, Kathy Hensley, uh, Municipal uh, Assembly candidate. Be kind. Love one another. We'll see you then. All right. Donna just said you're still her favorite, Dozer. So there you go. <laughs> so you're still your favorite. Which I thought I was her favorite, so now I have some jealousy, but that's okay. Um, no. Well, probably favorite radio guy. I was well, favorite legislator. There you go. So we can break it up. There you go. Let's let's do that. Um, I'm going to comment. I'm just going to read this comment because I thought it was so poignant. Uh Senator, excuse me, Representative, I just promoted him. Representative McCabe just said, one legislator has filed 55 bills. Half have unconstitutional memos on them. None of them have sectional analysis, none with sponsor statements, and has not asked for any of them to be heard in committee. Filing bills is easy. Doing the hard work is not. I'm assuming it's hard. That's why they call it hard work. But again, filing a bill doesn't make a solution at this point. It does nothing, generally speaking, Mike especially if you can't even get it heard and you know, you're not going to get it heard. You're filing it for your own personal agenda. So you can talk about it. You can highlight yourself. You can do whatever self-promotion it's all over the place. And especially in a year like this, I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of that garbage, but whatever. Yeah. Kevin's not wrong. Yeah, no, it, it is, it is, uh, it is what it is. Um, and again, I love all the armchair quarterbacks who come in and basically say, you know, Hey, we, we, I, this is what I would do. I would fix it. Uh, to, to which, to which I say, let me get my popcorn and watch this happen because. And the, you know what, Mike? Good. Run for office. Give it a shot. Get Go there. For it. Get it done. I highly encourage you to do it. Yeah. No facetiousness at all. I mean it. Jump in the race and do it then. Yeah. Seriously. Well, at do least, it. at least you'd have an ally, right? 
I mean, at that yes. point, at least you'd have an, if all these people are so pissed off about the fact that you haven't been able to get the job done, if they jumped in to do it, at least you'd have an ally to help get the job done. Maybe we could change out some of these people and make it work. That's what we need to, that's what we need to remember. That's, that's, I mean, that is definitely. Uh, but remember, people like me ain't going to get elected in Kodiak. People like me ain't going to get elected in Sitka yeah. or West Fairbanks yep. or Juneau or parts of Anchorage. So just got to remember that, folks. Not every district is like yours. They think differently or they wouldn't be sending those people. Got to know that. Yeah. Well, I think you got to drill down into uh, into one thing, and you've done that. You've talked, you know, you've got your your bill on the uh, on the elections. You've got judicial reform. You've talked about the PFD. We're we're putting those. You'll be putting amendments in for that. I mean, we're fighting the fight that we could fight. We can't make everybody happy, but uh, you know, at least we're continuing on. That's all we can do at this point. And as we said, I mean, I am slowly coming around to the whole idea of a con con. I mean, I, I I'm terrified of it. In on the one hand like you said, but at the same time, I look at the people who are vehemently opposed to it and I realize, well, that's a good sign. And then I realize that even if we open it up and there are some looky-loos or some or some outside influence that tries to do it, we've still got to vote on it as a state. So we've still got some stop gaps in there. I'm hoping tomorrow is going to clear some of that up for me because I, again, I'm, I am concerned, but I'm looking at, you know, it, it may be the nuclear option, you know, when it's all said and done that we may have to go to. And if it scares the hell out of them it makes me look at it with a real um i guess with a real appreciative eye at this point you ought to mike is that snyder that's coming on tomorrow uh his yeah his name is jim doctor uh i said it earlier and i can't remember uh who it was uh i think it's dr jim i think it is snyder jim snyder is that right uh jl snyder jh snyder yeah jim snyder yep he's going to be on the program tomorrow he wrote a really good article i put it on my facebook page really um well thought out arguments about you know the the pros and cons and why you know what the people that were against it were going to say and their counter arguments so i i've got to get him on matter of fact i want him to, to come join us with the debate this summer i think he's uh i haven't had a chance to talk to him but tell him i'd like to talk to him too i'm trying to get in touch with him so um he's got some really good arguments and things to consider as we go through it yeah well we're gonna um you know we're, we're gonna do what we can i'll i'll try and put you guys together and talk about it so hopefully tomorrow he's gonna uh um he he you know hopefully he he and i are gonna have some good conversation and we'll be able to pull it together and like you said uh i mean we and this is what i've been advocating for the last year and a half we can't keep changing the players in the districts that are friendly to us right i mean we've already changed out most of the players i think machiki's probably going to be gone this time around anyway so that'll be a good one there's a few others where we're going to make some make some headway but the big ones the ones that are holding us back sitka Bert Stedman, Kodiak, Gary Stevens, Click Bishop in Fairbanks, uh, you know, Steve Thompson, Bart LeBond, both of them in downtown Fairbanks. I mean, these are places that need to have somebody conservative step up that can win and, and change those players. And the problem is most of them are running unopposed at this point. And, uh, and, and that's a problem. And, and we need to find those are the players that need to be changed out. We could have 50 out of 60 that are all in favor of it. One Yahoo in the 10 is able to hold everything back because they've got a position of power. So, yeah, that's it, Mike. And realize even then, you know, that that district, even if you had a conservative might very well not win. 
because again, some districts have a concentration of, of liberals or progressives in them. And that's just what it is. Yeah. So, you know, West Fairbanks, I keep highlighting that because it's got the university in it. University of Fairbanks is a huge university population and employees. They're all big government types for the most part. Sure. Right. If you think you're going to get a conservative elected there, pretty slim chance. You're just going to have to accept well, that's what it is. It's like going into San Francisco. So I'm going to be a conservative mayor. No, you're not. They're never going to vote for you. So yeah, <laughs> you might get it. But the reality is you probably won't. Well, so. I'm, I'm vaguely rem- reminded by when I was on the assembly in Fairbanks, there was an actual breakdown and it showed that 52 percent of the people in Fairbanks are are uh, employed by government at one level or another. Federal, state, local. Uh, you you know, think you're going to get them to go anti-government yeah. or reduce it? It's gonna, budget? Good luck. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It can be done. Fairbanks used to be more red than it is now, um, but people got tired. Conservatives, I, I'll, I'll be honest, conservatives fell asleep at the switch. I watched it happen. When I joined the assembly, it was pretty balanced. I was on the far conservative side, but we had some more moderate conservatives in the middle. By the time I left five years later, there was only two of us who were even conservative, hardly at all, on the on the whole assembly. Uh, maybe one moderate out there. And, that, and then the rest of it was all, uh, you know, swinging for the hills progressives. That's what it was. So people have fallen asleep at the switch. They grew weary and well-doing, which we cannot do. No, and look, people, look, my people on the left politically, they understand that. They've been marching to this tune for some time. They know you take over the community councils, you take over the boroughs, you take over the the small cities and the the you know Anchorage uh, assemblies. And when you do that, you start filtering policy, and eventually, the next thing you know, everything's turned left and blue. And you're like, "How the heck did that happen?" Like you said, go yep. sleep with the wheel. And then you know it's harder at the national level because there's a lot more attention on it. But boy, they can take over those community councils. Well, you know, the Matsu Borough, Mike, the reddest part of the state, had a liberal Matsu Borough assembly until finally. People woke up and go, whoa, Yeah, what are these people? What the heck? And, and we swept them all out last well, November. Well, that's, They're all gone. That's because but we're all that's because we're all concerned and, and obfuscated by the bread and circuses at the national level. That's all we're fed all day long. So we all become so hyper-focused on that, we forget about our own backyard. And that's what happens. Yeah. And, and uh, so you can fix it, but, you know, it's it's easy to do because they understand that. And so they go out and they campaign and they know they only need to get three or four hundred people to go vote in a local election. They'll win it. Yeah. Well, absolutely. they can get that by just busting union people up from Anchorage. Why do I know? Because we saw them. Yeah, and They exactly. told us they did. They were talking to them on the street course. Michelle and I hold signs like, what are you guys doing here? Oh, we live in Anchorage. Or what the heck are you doing? Oh, well, the unions put us on a bus and had us come up here and hold these signs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> They oh. told us that while we stand on multiple street corners in the Matsu, they don't even hide it. They just, oh, yeah, they bust us up here for the day. They're paying us come up, you know, hold some signs for these Democratic candidates. Wow. OK, well, you see conservatives doing. No, we don't have that. So. All right. Well, Mike Schauer, um, GOP State Senator District E, as always, fun entertaining and, uh, and better than coffee and better than coffee. All right. My, well, I don't know about that, but you know, uh, better than Red Bull. That's for sure. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. We will talk with you. Uh, we'll talk with you again, uh, next week, I guess we'll see. Maybe by then you will have had a caucus majority meeting or maybe not. I mean, yeah. <laughs> maybe not. Who knows? Who knows? All right. I think the PFD battle will be at, at about a week and a half. I think that's when everybody's going to be here. So I would guess somewhere around the third week of March is when we're going to pull those bills, and that's where we'll see what happens. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. I want to see those full PFD bills. I want to see those go to the floor. I want people to have to take a position before the election on a full PFD. I don't know if there's the political will to make that happen, but we need to get everything in our power to make it happen. 
So, um, all right, my friend, thank you so much for coming on board. We will talk with you next week. All right, Mike. See ya. Folks, we are out of time. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. Thanks for being with us. We will see you tomorrow. Don't go. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show